Hello, everybody, and welcome back to my podcast. Thank you for coming back to my podcast. I appreciate it every time you guys come back. Okay, so I am going to talk about my deployment. I'm going to talk about what it was like in Syria and everything leading up to Syria and how I ended up uh, deploying in the first place. Okay, update on my wife and me with the COVID. <clears throat> we feel better. Uh, we have been we have been sick for about ten days ish, give or take, and we feel completely better. Uh, we are taking a COVID test in about two days to determine if we're still positive. But as of right now, we feel we feel fine. Okay, so. When I was in the military, I deployed, and I ended up uh, going to Syria for about two, two months. The deployment itself was seven months. I was only in Syria for about two. So, how does that happen? I will explain. Before I explain, I'm going to, t- to explain how I even deployed in the first place, and then the series of events leading up to us having to go to Syria. So, I was originally stationed with Combat Logistics Battalion 1 in Camp Pendleton, where this is in 2015, I get out of my MOS school, I get orders to Camp Pendleton, CLB 1, and I get sent, I get sent to the unit, okay? So, in this unit, they had already, had already deployed, they went to Kuwait, they had just come back, um, Kuwait and Afghanistan, and I met some great people, and essentially, I didn't have a deployment opportunity uh, getting there, so what ended up happening was, I just did my job, okay, um, I was a heavy equipment operator, which which meant that there's two sides to that job, there's there's dirt handling, and then there's MHE, which is, MHE stands for material handling equipment, which is basically like uh, cargo, just picking up cargo with e- either like a forklift or a Kelmar or something of that nature. And since I was in a combat logistics battalion, logistics meaning to support with stuff, the majority of the stuff I did was MHE. I did do some dirt work whenever we would go to the field, but for the most part, I did MHE. Okay, so how does this relate to me deploying to Syria? So I operated every opportunity I had. I hopped in the gear and I operated and I did a good job. Uh, I did a good job. I just did it all the time. And if, if you want to get good at anything, you just do it a lot. And that's what I was doing. I was doing my job a lot. I was going on a lot of runs to other units, helping other units, uh, helping other sections within our battalion. And I did it to the point where I was really good at my job. wasn't the best, but I was pretty good. On top of that, I was a, a good Marine in, to, the, to the extent that I did and said what I had to when I had to. And I did not have an attitude problem. A lot of people have attitude problems. I did not have an attitude problem. So I was a pretty good dude. Okay. So 
how does this relate to me end up going to Syria? So, the staff NCO that was in charge of my platoon at the time, his name was Staff Sergeant Jean-Louis, he uh, gets informed that CLB-11 needs a heavy equipment operator to go on a deployment. Okay, so he gets he gets the news, and he thinks about me, and he picks me out of all the other heavy equipment operators. Uh, there wasn't a lot of heavy equipment op operators. There was probably about ten. So I was picked because he liked me because I I was good at my job, and he thought that was I was a good marine, and. He, so he picked me to go to transfer to that unit. So had I not been a good Marine or had he not liked me for, let's just say, an attitude problem, I, I probably wouldn't have been chosen to go to CLB-11. Okay. And to add, deployments are a big deal in the Marine Corps because everybody wants to deploy because it's hard to get a deployment it's not easy to get a deployment it used to be um back when there was war going on and more conflict but through my experience in the marine corps it was really hard to get a deployment so everyone wanted it and him picking me was kind of like a like a compliment kind of kind of like a was his way of saying thank you in a way um, because if he didn't like me, he wouldn't have quote-unquote blessed me with the opportunity to deploy. Um, so he picks me, cool, and now I get attached to Combat Logistics Battalion 11, where it's a whole new whole new ball game. There's Everybody's different. Everybody's transferring units, getting into CLB-11, because CLB-11 just got back from a deployment, so everyone transferring into this unit, um, is about to deploy now, and everyone transferring into this unit is from other units. So at the very beginning of CLB-11, it was very hectic because you got a bunch of different Marines from a bunch of different units who handled things very differently. Um, but as time progressed, uh, it got easier in the sense that everyone learned how to work with, e with each other. Okay, so that was the first thing that happened. I went to my unit, did a good job, worked hard, didn't have an attitude problem. Got transferred over to CLB-11. Now I'm at CLB-11. Okay, so now I'm at CLB-11. And from that point, all the way up until the deployment, it was nothing but training. We went on numerous field ops. Uh, numerous events were going on within the motor pool. A lot of training. Okay, so the battalion, CLB-11 gets split up into three sections, into detachments, okay? There's CLD, I don't remember the numbers, but let's just say there's, so CLD stands for Combat Logistics Detachment, and then it was something like 111, and then the second one would be Combat Logistics Detachment 112, and the third one would be Combat Logistics Detachment 113, I don't remember the exact numbers, but there's three separate detachments and the reason there's it gets split up into three is because the battalion is going to get split up into three different ships the type of deployment that we were on was called the mu 
M-E-U. M-E-U stands for Marine Expeditionary Unit. What a, what a MU does, essentially, is it sails across the ocean and it ports out on various different locations around the world and then it comes back. And the reason it's a deployment is because during this duration of time, while you're sailing at sea and you're stopping at different ports, if and when there is something going on in a foreign country where the America needs you to do something, then you're on standby and you're ready. Okay, so that's the point of a mute. So it, it's all a matter of what's the likelihood of something happening while you're out there. Typically, nothing happens while you're out there. You go, you see a bunch of countries, go to a different bunch of different cities within the countries, you port out, you sail, and you come home because nothing happened. In my case, something happened, i.e. Syria. But back to my point about the three different detachments, that was because the battalion got split into threes because each detachment was going to be on a different ship because there was a total of three ships on that deployment. So what's happening now? Okay, we deploy and we port out in Singapore and after Singapore we go to Djibouti, Africa. In Djibouti, Africa, we do a training exercise. It's a big old, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a field operation but it's in Djibouti, Africa where you have all three combat lo logistics detachments um, pretty much competing essentially and you have other units it, it wasn't just logistics unit there was other units as well um, like infantry units and combat engineer battalion units stuff of that nature okay so a bunch of different units but in regards to my unit we were split into three and in a sense we were actually competing okay which out of these three motherfucking detachments is the best logistics detachment. Okay. My logistics detachment so happened to be the fucking best logistics fucking detachment. <laughs> okay. So and it was it was there was two heavy equipment operators in that um detachment. It was me and Gregory Landry. He's a phenomenal operator. I am a of an operator of the same standard, I suppose, and we had a bunch of other uh, Marines that were, you know, of high standard in their MOS, and we just so happened to be the best attachment, and because we were the best attachment, we, out of the three fucking detachments, were going to be the first fucking detachment that they were going to send in the event that anything fucking serious was going to fucking happen. Okay. So, because I did a good job at CLB-1, I get transferred over to fucking CLB-11, and because I'm doing such a good fucking job with my detachment, now we're up in the fucking, you're the first to go if something happens, right? So, okay, um, while we were deployed, the 2016 presidential elections were going on. So this plays a role, because... For the past fucking however many years, whenever Muse would go out, typically nothing would happen because as stuff is going on around the world, the missions get sent up 
through the chain of command and they typically get rejected and then nothing happens and you go home. However, Trump got elected and while I was on ship, they fucking send up a bunch of, we can do this, we can do that. And he appointed General Mattis as a Secretary of Defense. And one of the missions was to go to Syria and uh, assist in the fight against ISIS. And then it got approved. So, boom, okay, holy shit, it got approved. Uh, we're going to Syria. So, who's going to Syria? My logistics detachment, not the other two. The other two, they're, they're just going to go on the mute, and if something else happens, they'll go there. But they continue with the mute. My detachment gets dropped off in Djibouti. That's where we get the news that we're going to Syria. We're all like, holy shit, we're going to Syria. ISIS is there. We all heard all the stories about Syria. Syria is bad. So it's kind of like a shocking, scary moment. And they tell us that we are not allowed to tell anyone that we're going to Syria. You cannot tell your family, can't tell your friends. It's just, it's just operation, security, OPSEC, shut the fuck up, don't talk about it. Yeah, you might die, yeah, you're probably gonna get shot at, but you cannot tell your family that that's where we're going. Although, word got out, and it was all over the fucking news. And even though it was on the news, we still couldn't tell our families that what we were doing, which was respectable to a certain extent, but pretty shitty. So... What ends up happening is we're in Djibouti, Africa, we got the word, and now we got to head over to a nearby base where we got prep up and train, which we then fly out to Kuwait where we train some more, um, uh, BZO our weapons, make sure our weapons are zeroed in, and in Kuwait, Kuwait was fucking cold as fuck. Okay, so this is we didn't know where we were going, right? You could go anywhere, but the equipment we had was more for the desert, more for like heat, and we were in Kuwait at a very cold time, the winter, and we didn't have the proper gear, so that was super fucking shitty that we were we that we even had to deal with how cold it fucking was without having the, the proper equipment. Um, but hey, fuck it, we just we just did it anyway, and we're training day by day. Um, and it's a lot of fucking training. It wasn't like exhausting, but it was exhausting in the sense that we weren't sleeping all night. We were sleeping for about fucking three hours a night because we were out in the field and we were trying to like jam pack all this stuff that was going on. And it was super shitty, but we did it. Okay. So then from Kuwait, we hop into a plane and fly out to Syria. Okay. We go to Syria. And we fucking land in there. Um, location was called the KLZ. Uh, I think it was called the Kabani Landing Zone. Land there. Um, super fucking scary because I was like, oh shit, we're in Syria. Okay, so now we're in Syria. Now we're in the KLZ. And now we have to uh, kill ISIS. So how are we going to kill ISIS? Uh, <laughs> this is how we did it. So... What America decided to do at the time, and none of this is really classified, this is 2016, um, so I could talk about it. So America at the time partnered with the Syrian Democratic Forces, also known as 
the Kurds, also known as the YPG, I believe, at the time. America partners with them to fight ISIS in order to have them fight ISIS while we support them so that we don't, we're not their front, front lines. So that was the logic. The issue with that is Turkey, the country of Turkey, is located right above Syria. And the country of Turkey was at conflict with the Kurds. The country of Turkey actually uh, deemed the Kurds a terrorist organization. And the issue with that is America and Turkey are allies. So now you have America and Turkey, allies, America, helping out Kurds, Kurds at conflict with Turkey. Um, so what those two entities did while we were there was they literally stopped fighting. They just, they called a ceasefire and they just stopped fighting each other because America was in there. So America's in northern Syria um, along the Turkish border-ish. That's my dog barking. Um, along the... That's my dog barking again. <clears throat> along the northern border and okay so recap america turkey allies turkey in conflict with the kurds the kurds fighting isis with the support of america and in the meantime the syrian government like the syrian regime is there okay but we're not bagging them because they're bad syrian regime is bad um, but Russia is actually back in the Syria regime. So there's a lot of interest going on in there, in that country. And a lot of, like, um, I guess hesitation in the sense that there's a lot of key, uh, key players in there. Okay, so what was America doing? America was assisting the, assisting the Kurds. How were they assisting the Kurds? With the Air Force, right? Flying over, dropping bombs. And on the Marine side, my side was to provide artillery artillery guns four artillery guns literally just four fucking artillery guns but they did a lot of damage so while the Kurds would go in and have that hand-to-hand -hand fucking combat shoot guns behind them way behind them miles behind them was marine artillery guns shooting Miles away, fucking doom, 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 and dropping bombs on the ISIS guys and just killing them. Um, total round shot in those two months was around 4,500 rounds of artillery total. Just poof, shot. Um, and they killed, confirmed, wise confirmed, from what I know, 300 ISIS, which is a good ratio in the sense that they didn't kill any of us. Um, yeah, but it was a lot of bombs. I'm sure it was a lot more casualties than that, but confirmed. Like, you can say, yes, that guy's dead, and we saw that. 300. So, what was, so what was going on? That was going on. How are they going to do that? They established a base further south from the landing zone by the city called Talil, which we call Talil Logistics Base. 
and that was where the artillery battalion was going to going to post up and shoot from. Also, they had a different location where they would post up and shoot from. But Toledo Logistics Base was like the main thing. So what was going on now? Now the American military has to make a base by Toledo, a FOB, a forward operating base. And all the branches were um, playing a part. The, the Navy was there. The Army was there. The Army engineers uh, were building. And the Marines were there. The infantry was there providing security. So, And the Air Force was in the air uh, dropping bombs. So the goal was to make a fucking logistics base by Talil, which was north of Raqqa. And Raqqa was the capital of ISIS at the time. Not too far from Raqqa, within a shooting distance, indirect fire-wise. So, what was my job, or my my logistics detachment, was to transport all the troops from fucking point A, KLZ, to point B, uh, Toledo Logistics Base, while also transporting all the fucking HESCO barriers and uh, water, uh, food, uh, troops, um stuff all the stuff you need logistics all the shit you need in order to make that base uh, my platoon was hauling it over well if you weren't a motor t driver you would just post up in a turret above the vehicles uh, to provide security while um while you're routing over to, to the logistics base so just dropping off a bunch of shit going back picking up a bunch of shit going back dropping off a bunch of shit just back and forth back and forth, heavy equipment operators, moi, load up all the ammunition, load up all the fucking gear, all the stuff, and then post up on the turret, come back, drop all that shit off again, and just repeat and repeat and repeat, because you needed all the stuff there. Meanwhile, they're they're actually building the Toledo Logistics Base. They have a bunch of GUR, um, the Army fucking heavy equipment, heavy equipment operators had big old bulldozers, uh, big old front-end loaders, and they were just digging. Like, they would make trenches so that no one could uh, pass into our base. They were digging a bunch of holes so that the infantry could sleep in the hole, and if we ever got shot at, you could jump in a hole. And everyone was just doing their job. Okay, so me, transport everything back and forth. And because there was two heavy equipment operators in my logistics detachment, me and Landry, him and I would switch off. So if I was doing the the runs, going back and forth, dropping shit off, picking shit up, he would be at the base assisting uh, the combat engineer battalion or the army engineers or whoever with whatever they needed to do. But the main um, purpose of the logistics battalion was to transport uh, everything. Okay, So apart from dropping shit off at the logistics base, we would drop off rounds at the artillery pause, provide them with their fucking rounds. Of course, of two months, we gave them 4,500, which is a lot of rounds. And also, while you're doing, well, every time you drop shit off, you gotta pick up their fucking trash, their dunnage, um, or transport their water, pick up their, even their trash for their fucking food, right? They need that stuff. Um, so it was a fuckload of fucking driving back and forth back and forth here and then the pause would move to the two separate locations so you'd go to this pause and then if they moved you'd go to the other pause and go back to or go back to Talil 
in the meantime, uh, they would shoot at us. I believe they shot at Talil Logistics Base about at least 40 times in the two months that I was there, at least. Uh, but they missed every time. Uh, they, they, From what I know, they didn't really know their weapons. Uh, they weren't shooting them properly, from what I was being told from the intel. was They just didn't know how to use them, um, which was why they kept missing. And also, every time they would shoot at us, uh, the Air Force would come in and kill them. Or, if they shot at us, the artillery battalion would find their location and then shoot at them with the artillery battalion. So they were just dying. Mucho. Um, and I was there about five times when they shot at us. From what from the time, from the 40 plus times they shot at us, I was there about five of those times. Kind of scary. Um, I think you get used to it after a while. Um, not too bad though because they were they were always missing. I remember seeing one impact the moon sand, and it it, it like poofed up, and that that shook me up a little bit. But yeah. Um. So yeah, that happened, and we did a good job because the the Kurds um pretty much overran ISIS completely. Um, and ISIS was pretty much taken over completely, basically 99%-ish. Um, so, that was good. Um, I was going to say something. Okay, also, during this time, I remember me and my friends talking. And we actually developed a relationship with the Kurds. We didn't talk to them personally, but every time we would drive by their villages... All their kids would be super stoked to see us. They were like super happy we were there helping the Kurds out. The Kurds were very thankful. Sometimes they would throw uh, cigarettes into our into our trucks so that they were just like their way of saying thank you. Um, a lot of times you'd wave at them. They'd wave back. So we actually felt bad because we knew like the circumstances. We knew we were there helping them out to take over ISIS but we also knew that they were in conflict with Turkey so we were just kind of like what's gonna happen when all this ends like are we just gonna dip completely right fast forward some uh yeah they dipped completely uh Trump pulled the uh, troops out of Syria and also Mattis General Mattis resigned because he actually wanted to stay in Syria um and there's actually clips on CNN, if you type type it in on YouTube, CNN, Kurds, um, they felt bad. Like, you could tell that the Kurds were not happy about us leaving. Very sad. They also said that they, they know that the troops have nothing to do with the decision making and it's higher up and stuff. But, yeah, I'm pretty sure more Kurds are dying because of Turkey even though ISIS was suppressed properly. Um, so, did actually feel kind of bad about that because we did develop some sort of relationship with Kurds and then for us to just leave on them, kind of kind of weird. Um, yeah, and that's, that's all that had happened really in Syria. Uh, we came home. Uh, our unit got relieved by a different unit. They... 
actually shot more rounds than we did. We shot about 4,500 in two months. They shot more, and I don't know, but they broke our record. Um, a lot of bombs were being dropped over there. Um, that pretty much sums up my series story. How did it happen? I worked hard. I got one opportunity, and then I worked hard, and I got another one. Yeah, that's literally how it happened. So, and now because of that, I have a couple more ribbons than someone else. Uh, so that's all I have to say about that. That was my time in Syria. And I hope you guys enjoyed my telling of it. Side note, my estimated audience size is about 62, which is pretty cool. It's been, this podcast has been growing. It's pretty sick. Uh, thank you guys for listening. And thank you guys for leaving positive reviews um and that's all i have to say okay take care adios bye-bye